This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. I'm Dave Brown, and this is a podcast version of AMI's morning show, Now with Dave Brown. Catch the live broadcasts weekdays from 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. As we shared a few times in the news last week, the Ontario government has passed changes to long-term care policy and hospital policy last week. Accessibility reporter Megan Gilmore is here to break down a few of the concerns raised by these changes. Hey, good morning, Megan. How are you? I'm well. So, Megan, we did share this news story last week, but let's start with a baseline here. What are some of these changes that were passed in Ontario? So on August 31st, the Ontario government passed Bill 7, uh, which is its short title is the More Beds, Better Care Act, which amends last year's law fixing Long-Term Care Act. So those titles give you a bit of an idea of what the government says the goal of these changes are, which is to... um, provide better care for individuals by allowing them more beds, essentially, in the hospital. So the stated goal of the act is to free up hospital beds by moving patients who are classified as alternative level of care or ALC patients out of the hospital and into long-term care homes. And ALC patients, uh, just as a reminder, are those who are still in the hospital, but they don't need the level of care that is provided at a hospital. So in some ways, they've been medically discharged, but they're still actually at a hospital. And what the change does is it allows placement coordinators to authorize that an ALC patient be moved from the hospital to a long-term care home without the patient's consent or without the consent of their substitute decision maker. Uh, The placement coordinator will decide where patients will go. The patient has no say on that. So let's say, for example, uh, you're a senior, you're in a hospital, you're an ALC patient, and you already have a list of these are the top five long-term care homes I'd like to go to. That doesn't matter. Like, you'll just be sent wherever the placement coordinator determines is where they will send you. So the concern on that one is clear in terms of a lack of consent and a lack of freedom of choice in terms of your, in terms of your dwelling and medical care. What are yes. some of the other broad concerns at play here? So um, as part of that lack of concern, uh, sorry, lack of consent, there's also this sense of patronizing uh, towards seniors, towards people with disabilities that, you know, uh, the, hospital staff for these specific people, the hospital should be able to tell them where to go. Um, Some of the concerns around where people will move to is, first of all, they need to be moved to a long-term care facility that has beds available for them. So a long-term care facility that isn't already full. That raises questions about why specific facilities are not at capacity. So are people potentially going to be moved to facilities that have had a lengthy list of problems or infractions? And the reason why there's beds there is because nobody actually wants to be there for health and safety reasons. Is this going to impact where people go? There's also questions about how people's linguistic, cultural, or religious needs will be uh, met. Uh, There's been concerns about a Francophone care 
if, if uh, francophones will be moved to an area where they can't receive uh, care in in their official language. Um, concerns about, let's say, you live in northern Ontario, will you be moved to southern Ontario? What about indigenous communities uh, who don't have as much long-term care? Uh, that sort of thing. And then, just on um, some logistical notes, there's no expiry date, so. Right now, the way the law reads is this is the way it could be from henceforth until forevermore. So uh, is there going to be a change, uh, that sort of thing? And there are some, um, there are some uh, details that will still be left to the regulations and people don't know actually what, what it will look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Megan, let's apply a disability lens to this. I imagine some right. of the concerns we're going to have may be a familiar refrain, but how could this impact yeah. people with disabilities? So um, s- studies have shown that ALC patients are often individuals with developmental disabilities. Um, so there, we've spoken on this uh, show before about the um, alarming number of young adults with disabilities who live in long-term care and are there um, inappropriately. There's a concern that this will increase that. That really, um, I'm speaking to Hannah Lee, who's a staff lawyer with ARCH, a disability law in, in Toronto, and she mentioned how this is just a further example of institutionalization. That uh, for a group of the, a group of people who've fought hard and long to be moved out of institutions, this law, this change to the law, is a move back into institutionalization. Uh, then we talked about some of the the concerns uh, before about consent and about where people will be placed. There's also concerns that this. Uh, change doesn't address um, the reasons why some people are ALC patients. Mm. So there's some individuals who are classified as ALC in the hospital who aren't looking for a long-term care placement. They're looking for community care, looking for home care supports. So this this doesn't do that. So uh, some advocates would say the answer to the problem that has caused these changes in the law would be find home care, find a change home care processes so that seniors and families with dementia can use them, uh, advocate for caregivers to get um, financial compensation. And this legislation only looks at hospital beds, long-term care placements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's one of these moments where we say the system of long-term care and hospitals and healthcare in general need to be fixed. This doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a structural fix. This seems like a Band-Aid. And for the, right. sake, of, for the sake of using a cliche, it almost sounds like you're moving Deck, ter- deck chairs run on the Titanic. You're not building capacity. You're just shifting capacity around and at, at, at the expense of potentially patients. And as you point out, there's no timeline on this, right? This is, no. this is a structural change in the way that they're operating, but without due to, due to a crisis, but there's no actual solution to the crisis. And even understanding that the crisis is a difficult one to solve, this one doesn't necessarily seem like something that's actually going to address the core issues at play. Megan, let's take your mm-hmm. accessibility reporter hat off for a second. Let's make you a okay. political correspondent. <laughs> are there any concerns about the way this bill was passed? Well, Dave, there are many. So um, the bill was introduced on Thursday, August 18th. It was passed on Wednesday, August 31st. All opposition MPs voted against this uh, but that's that's two weeks. 
And besides the speed of that, there this bill was not sent to committee. There was no public consultation. So I've spoken to some advocates, for example, uh, seniors for Social Advocacy Ontario and other groups who wrote the premier with their concerns, um, gave their suggestions, asked to be consulted, nothing, no consultation with First Nations communities, especially those in North Northern Ontario who face a much different um, different amount of resources in terms of healthcare. So yeah, no committees, no public consultation. And then there's this another fact, this, this happened in August. So most people aren't paying attention to provincial politics in the dying weeks of summer vacation. <laughs> Megan, I'll interrupt, yeah, Megan, I'll just, interrupt you. Most people are not yeah. paying attention to provincial politics, period. The election turnout numbers are evidence of that. That's true. That's true. You can go onto the podcast archives and listen to um, a recent news panel where that was discussed. Last Friday's news panel, but the general lack of enthusiasm around around provincial elections. But Megan, I do, I do agree with you that, that certainly as something is rapidly changing in August, sort of months after an election with lack of yeah. consultation, it's almost as if this could have become an issue on the election trail, right. but, but a party that won a stunning majority just didn't lay out any policy on the campaign trail. It's- Right, which is a question a lot of the people are asking. Like, this came as a total surprise. And for an issue that is so important right now in Ontario and across this country, like, the, the Ford government passed a law last year called the Fixing Long-Term Care Act. So they've given this... Um, image that we want to fix long-term care. You'd think if this was important to you, you would maybe consult the citizens Mm -hmm. whom you've been elected to serve. That's just my hot take. Still waiting for a lot of those air conditioners. Uh, Megan, let's uh, (laughs) jump into public reaction. I think you and I may have just mirrored some of it, but what has been the general public reaction? So the general public reaction obviously is quite concerned about this. Uh, The Ontario Nurses Association has spoken out against it. Different public service sector um, unions have spoken out against it. There's uh, been concerns about language rights, again, that I mentioned um, from Francophone patients, uh, the Ottawa Citizen. Uh, So where I live right now, they recently reported about a 62-year-old woman who has MS who um, has been forced to kind of jump around uh, long-term care homes even before this bill was passed. Uh, so it's even heightened that. Uh, last night I spoke with a man from uh, Sioux, uh, Sioux Lake, um, an Indigenous man there, Garnet, and he he's an alternative care uh, ALC patient, and he's concerned about if he'll have to move out of the community further away from his family, uh, further away from his children, his wife, his grandchildren, and, and he's, um, not to put too fine a point on it, but he's also a residential school survivor. So he's like, you know, I already went through the government telling me where I had to live. I got out of that. I've made, like, he's a former journalist. Like, he's he's worked hard to tell the stories of his community. And now facing the potential that in his last years of life, the government will go and do that all over again. Mm. Megan, Anytime we're talking about a law that bears some controversy, there's bound to be some rumblings about legal action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there any sense of legal steps being taken by whether it be healthcare professionals, uh, patient advocacy groups, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So the Ontario Human Rights Commission has uh, said that it's monitoring the situation. There were some groups that uh, re- uh, reached out to the commission and expressed their concerns. And just to, to make this clear, one of the things that does make this 
change, especially concerning, is that it is targeting ALC patients. So it is targeting a very specific group of people in the healthcare system, a group of people that is disproportionately more likely to be seniors or people with disabilities. So you can make an argument that this is direct discrimination on the basis of age, on the basis of disability. Uh, so as a result of that, there's also concerns that this violates the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities that says that individuals with disabilities should be allowed to have choice in where they live and not be forced into institutions. But again, um, these concerns have just been raised as of yet. Um, I haven't heard of any formal legal action being raised, but people are watching this situation closely. Megan, we've spoken to you frequently about the issues surrounding medical assistance in dying and the federal law around MAID. Do you believe there could be some intersectionality in the way that we're perceiving this story with that story? Sure. So one of the things that came up a lot um, for those who were listening to it or paying attention to it during the lead up to uh, what became known as Bill C-7, the law that passed last year, was that there are individuals in Canada who have considered or in some cases received a medically assisted death because they have disabilities and did not want to be moved into a long-term care home. Um, so it is not that they wanted to die. It is that they did not want to live in a long-term care institution. And when you have that already in the air, then to change the laws in Ontario to effectively force people who are already in, who already have that in the back of their mind potentially, into a long-term care home, I wouldn't be surprised if we see reports about MAID intersecting with this more directly. Again, this is just my thoughts as somebody who's watched uh, these things come uh, concurrently down the track. Um, there's people who are terrified to live in a long-term care home in this country mm. and they're opting to die as a result of it. And I wouldn't be surprised if those two things come together. Megan, let's pivot and end on something much more rosy. Let's try, let's try okay. to end it on a bit of a happier note here because, you okay. know, we're doing serious business, but let's, yes, let's try, let's, let's try to, let's try to pull the nose up a little bit as we wrap up <laughs> the segment. You just finished your first ever official summer living in Ottawa, a city that I, I absolutely adored living in, a city that I I still wish I was kind of living in. What do you make of your first full summer in Ottawa? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, so I, I was traveling for a bit of it, so I wasn't here for all of it. Um, what do I make of my first summer in Ottawa? Ottawa's a great city in terms of lots of outdoor space, lots of places to get around uh, for the summer, uh, which I really appreciated. Um, I, am, I, I learned this in the spring, actually, and it's coming up again this week. Ottawa gives people allergies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. And I did not know about this, Dave, when I moved here. And I was one of these people who was an allergy snob. Like, I would hear people be like, I can't do anything because I have allergies. And I like outside, I'd be like, oh, that's really sad. But inside, I would be like, seriously, I've seen people do much more with their life under like harder circumstances. Like, get over your nose, right? <laughs> um, and, then, and then this happened. I moved here, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I've been on a bit of an apology tour the past few months. Like, there's been some individuals that I was quite judgmental of, and I've had to call and be like... <laughs> Hey, about that. Um, but no, it's a great city. Um, I used the LRT for the first time to go down to the, the fireworks for Canada there. So, oh, you know. right yeah. on. Little That's LRT life. <laughs> hey, when the LRT works, it's great. Problem is it oh. doesn't work all the time. Yeah, so you can call me in about maybe like 50 years and we'll see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the good old, good old Ottawa. We built a seven-kilometer public transit tunnel that works sometimes. <laughs> 
All right, guys, way to go. Really, you're, we appreciate yeah, it. Anyways, really... municipal elections are coming up, everybody. There's our little little plug. <laughs> There's a plug there too, Megan. Thank you for this. Have a great day. You too. That's Megan Gilmore, our accessibility reporter. You've been listening to Now with Dave Brown. Hit the subscribe button on any podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.